Yeah. Welcome to Real Life. We're so happy that you came to join us today on this chilly, chilly, sprinkly day. Um, yeah, we're going to start off the service with some music, per usual. So if you're able, let's all stand up together and we'll start singing. This dry and desert land, I tell myself, keep walking on. Something up ahead, water falling like a song. An everlasting stream, your river carries me home. Let it flow, let it flow. 
chosen you has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite, with all the never get it right. Brought a rock to a sword fight. You picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen, and you changed the world. The moral of the story is everybody's got a purpose. When I hear that devil start talking to me, saying, Who do you think you are? I'll say, I'm just a nobody trying to tell.
to real life on our first like cold day you you know it's cold because I wore pants that that is absolutely right and I'll tell you this morning was a struggle because I did not want to wear pants but I gave I gave in we appreciate it hey uh everybody Kevin's back (laughs) thanks thanks Landon but it's nice to have Kevin back. Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, if you are new to real life, we want to welcome you. So glad you're, you're here. It's been exciting for us to be able the last couple weeks to have to kind of get some more chairs out and stuff. Um, just, so you, just so you know, uh, the chairs here eventually will not be here. We are, we are getting, let's see, it's the 29th. By December 2025, we should have new chairs. So, so hopefully, hopefully. I, I did, they actually called me uh, a week ago and, uh, and said we have no new information. So I, at, least, at least they called. That, that was nice. That was nice. So still hoping, still hoping, mid, mid-December. Uh, if you are new, uh, again, we want to welcome you. So glad to have you here. We'd love to have you at some point during the service. Take a few minutes. Go to reallifecc.us on your mobile device. Click the orange eye icon in the bottom right-hand corner. And then there's a link that says, I'm new. And uh, there's just a little bit of a form to fill out. We'd love to just know that you are here. want to send you an email. Say thanks for coming. And then we want to partner with you to help other organizations. So there'll be, uh, you'll get a list of some organizations that, um, that we can support, and so we'll send a donation in your name, on your behalf, to that organization, and so I think there's four or five of them that you can pick from there, uh, whatever kind of moves your heart, and this, uh, we want to just be generous and get your help in doing that. So uh, no, you don't have to do anything, but, but tell us you were here. Uh, we'll send you an email, and then we'll make that donation as well, so appreciate you doing that uh, and helping us out in that way. 
Uh, every week we take a moment out to uh, think about what God has given to us and worship him by giving back some of what he's given. And I was thinking about the message um, last week. We were in the first half of Genesis chapter four, Cain and Abel and their offering to God. And something struck me this week as I was kind of thinking about, we're gonna, we're gonna finish chapter four today. Um, but I was thinking about what God said to Cain after he and Abel make their sacrifice. So Cain and Abel go, they make a sacrifice. They're not, God didn't tell them to do that. They just did it because it's like, if, if there's a God who gives you everything that you have, you should probably give something back, like say thank you somehow, give something back uh, to him. And so they make these sacrifices, and if you remember, um, God is happy with Abel's sacrifice for whatever, we, like, we don't know why, but he's happy with Abel's sacrifice, and he's not so happy with Cain's sacrifice. And so God has this moment where he shows up, and, he, and he's talking to Cain about the sacrifice, um, if, if, and he says, he says this, um, Cain makes a sacrifice, God doesn't like it so much, Cain's angry, and he's, and he's upset. The, the Bible says this, his face fell, or he's downcast, he's sad about this. And so God shows up to Cain, and, and he says, Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And, and, and if you don't do well, sin is crouching at your door, this, this whole big other thing. But I found it really interesting that God doesn't say to Cain, Cain, if you would give the right offering, you'll be accepted. Cain, if, if you would have just given more in your offering, then I, I would have liked your offering. Cain, if you'd have just given the best offering that you possibly could, I, then I would have accepted that offering. It would have been good. I'd have been happy with that. God doesn't say any of those things. What God says is, Cain, if you do well, you'll be accepted. If you do the right things, you'll be accepted. And I found it really interesting that God, even in the beginning, even when offerings weren't a thing, God is way more concerned about Cain's behavior than he, about, than he is about what he brings in his offering. And, and I was thinking about that for us in this idea of giving back to God, giving financially, giving our time, giving um, our service, whatever, to God. Like We do that, I think, I think because we have this twisted idea that if I give to God, if I do this, then he's gonna give to me and I'm gonna get I'm gonna get more. But even back in the very beginning, even with the very first offering ever made to God, God says it's not about the offering. It's not about the offering you bring. It's about the heart with which you bring it. If you, if you do well, you're gonna be accepted. You're gonna be accepted. I don't care about your offering. We, we see this repeated in the Old Testament and then when Jesus comes in, in the New Testament um, and, and he quotes I, uh, Hosea at one point, and, and he says, um, th think about this or consider this. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not, not sacrifice, offering. I, I want you to live like, I want, like I've called you to live. I don't want you just to make these offerings. And I think, man, isn't that freeing for us? When we come to God and we talk about giving, and, and, and there's some really important things that happen when we give to God, but it's not about what we give. It's not about how much we give to God. God's like, I don't... It's, that's, not about, that's not what it's about. If you do what's well, you're, you'll be, if you do the right thing, you'll be accepted. And there are two things that happen when we give. First of all, we get to partner with God. And I think it's really cool that God creates this universe and then he calls humanity to partner with him in caretaking and watching over the, the, the world that he's created. He says, I want you to be my image bearers on earth and we're gonna work together to kind of manage all of this stuff. And so God continues to allow us to be partners with him in, in, in giving and serving and growing the kingdom 
all of those things. But something else happens when we, when we give. And it's not about the offering, but these things that we get, these things that happen in us when we give. Number one, we get to partner with God, and that's cool. But secondly, we learn to trust him more and more. Like as we, as we partner with him, as we give, as we, as we learn to trust, like he shows up and he does things through us, and then we trust him a little more, and we trust him a little more. And so I just want to encourage you today, however you give, whether you give in, in person with cash or check in the back, or, or you give using the um, mobile app at reallifecc.us, however you have that set up, one time, recurring, whatever, I, I just want to encourage you that as you do that, remember, it's not about the offering that you, that you bring. God, God deserves it all, right? I mean, he's, he, everything we have has come from him. He deserves it all, but he's not super concerned about that. What he's concerned about is, are you living? Are, are you doing? If you do, what's well? Are you partnering with me in, in what I called you to do, the mission and ministry of the church and in your life, and, and are you learning to trust me more and more? I, I hope that's what we learn when, when we give and when we partner with God in that way. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us. Thank you for being present with us today. Thanks for each and every person here, and, and thank you for the gifts that that come in each, each week and sometimes each day because that allows us to continue the mission and ministry that you've called us to. And, and when we give, God, we get to partner with you. We get to learn to trust you so that we give, give more and we trust you more and we partner with you more. And it's just exciting to see that, exciting to come in every week and see new faces and new people. You're doing what you've said you'd, you would do. If, if, if the name of Jesus is lifted up, you're gonna draw people to that name. And so thank you for doing that, Father. Thank you for allowing us to partner with you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to learn what it's like to walk with you each and every day as we, as we trust you a little more. And so, God, would you just continue to bless us as we worship you today? In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, church. Morning to those who are first time here. Um, you're very welcome to be here. And uh, unfortunately, our chairs are kind of odd or anything, but within, like you said, 2025, we should have new chairs here. Everybody be comfy. Um, but we give thanks that you're here today. Um, this is the time we do communion. And here at Real Life, we have open communion and stations on the side uh, auditorium here. And all we ask is that you believe in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, search your soul that you know, you're being faithful to Jesus and, and the sacrifice he made for us. But before I pray for that, I want to share something with you. Um, one of the things that, are, that ask me if I'm about and about and everything, or I work, and they know I, I'm a believer, and they're saying, well, what does Jesus bring to me? What, what do I feel in Jesus? What, you know, and people have different things. I'm, I feel love. I feel compassion. I feel faith that he loves me. Me, I have comfort. I've said it before, I have comfort in Jesus. He gives me comforts when things are bad. He gives me comfort when things are good. Um, struggles, I always have to read the word to get this comfort and everything. So one of the first I want to read to you today is from 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And that's the way I look at life for Jesus. Okay, I believe in the Bible. I believe in the gospel. I believe that Jesus came and died on the cross for my sins and everybody else's sins also. So at this time of communion, we take this to represent this body 
and his blood that he sacrificed for us. So as you take communion, think about what he's given you and what he's given himself to you also. Let us pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for those who are first time here, Lord, that they can hear your word today. And as Corey gives a message about the giving and the sacrifices that, that we have, Lord, for everyone, um, let us take the bread and, and the wine and re remember the sacrifice, like I said, Lord, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Oh, we got some new lights. That's, uh, that's nice. We don't have to just deal with the big fluorescence up there. That's cool. We'll see how it goes, see how it goes this week. Uh, in the beginning of Genesis chapter 4, what we looked at last week, we learned that this, this God, that remember Israel and, and Egypt, the people who left Egypt, the Egyptians that left Egypt with Israel, um, they didn't know anything about this God. Like this God just shows up and he rescues them out of 250 years of, of slavery and he brings them out into the desert and they know that he's powerful. They know that he's the most powerful God they've, they've ever seen, ever witnessed. Like, and, and because of that, they're like, okay, this God is gonna demand more than any other God. Like they're used to sacrificing, they're used to making offerings, they're used to the gods of Egypt, the, the idols and the false gods of Egypt, the things that they required. But they didn't know anything really about this new God, this most powerful God that's, that showed up. And so they knew he was unlike every other God, but they just really didn't know what he wanted. And, and so in the beginning of, of Genesis 4, we, we learn that this God, this new God for the people, wants the best for us, even when we choose the worst for ourselves. So that's kind of what we see in, in, in Genesis chapter three, Genesis chapter four. This God, he's super powerful. He can create something out of nothing, but then he really wants what's best for us, even when we choose the things that are worst for ourselves. And so we see this really cool picture of what happens in the beginning of chapter Chapter four, so Cain and Abel, they make these offerings to, to God, and there's this, like, we kind of joked about it, it's like this offering battle between, between Abel and Cain, and, and God was happy with Abel's offering, and he wasn't super happy with Cain's offering, but, but we looked at like this little thing last week, that after the offerings are made, Cain, uh, God doesn't go hang out with the winner, he hangs out with the loser, he goes to Cain, he goes to the guy that he was unhappy with and talks to him. And it's like, hey, it's, it's like it's gonna be okay. Like, don't, don't worry about it, just, just do better. Like, it's gonna be all right. Next time, the next time you bring an offering, just, just bring a better offering. Like it's, like, it's gonna be all right. And it's this really cool kind of moment. And the, the very fact that God would go and talk to Cain which, by the way, probably none of the Israelites or Egyptians could understand this. Like, why would this God go talk to the loser? That was completely foreign to their understanding of how the gods worked. And, and so, like, th this act of God coming and talking to Cain and caring about his, his feelings and the anger and frustration he was feeling, like, that, that should have steered Cain away from his evil plan to kill his brother. But on top of that, God then actually gives Cain the way to defeat these temptations and these feelings that are coming up inside of him. And, and, and he, says, he says, look, Cain, I, I recognize that, that sin, this desire to do something that you shouldn't do, it's, it's crouching at your door. It, its desire is to rule over you, but you must rule over it. And, and I think what, what he's really saying here is, Cain, you, you are not a beast driven by anger and fear. You're better. You're, you're my image bearer on, on earth. Like I created you for something better and so you don't have to give in to those beastly feelings that you have. You can rule over those things. And so here's what I think God is um, 
is, is saying, I think he's saying, Cain, please trust what I say more than what you feel. Trust what I say more than what you feel. And I want that to sink in a little bit this morning because, because I have this suspicion that if we could do just this one thing, like if this next week, the next seven days before we come back again next Sunday, if we could just trust the things that God says to us more than the way we feel in the moment, every day of our lives would change. Everything would change. Everything that we, we think is going bad is, is, is going to turn into something good. If we could just trust what God says. Let me give you a few um, examples. Because Scripture is full of these things that God says, but, but we have a hard time following those things because of how we, because of how we feel. So uh, let's throw this one out first because I'm sure nobody like, deals with this. Um, so we'll start with the, the smallest ones and move up to the bigger ones. Uh, vengeance is mine, I will repay, God says. None of us deal with that, right? I don't deal with like, oh, you hurt me or whatever, that's fine. It's no big deal. None of us deal with that. God says, look, you don't have to, you don't have to trade hurt for hurt or hate for hate. You can trust that I'm going to take care of that at, at, at the right time. But man, in the moment, that, that hate and that, that hurt can feel pretty powerful, doesn't it? And, and, and sometimes we just, we don't know what to do with it. And, and, it, and we hear God talking to Cain, and he goes, Cain, sin, like sin is crying. Corey, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you can rule over it. You don't have to be a, a beast. Just trust what, what I'm saying instead of what you're your feeling. He, he says this also, uh, seek first my kingdom and then I'll take care of everything else in, in your life. Seek my kingdom, my good first, and then I'll take care of, of everything else. But that's, well, that's not how we feel, right? We're like, ah, but God, my, my kingdom is pretty important. And if I focus on your kingdom, I'm, I'm like, my, I'm not sure what's going to happen to my kingdom, so the way we feel overtakes the things that God says. How about this one? God says, give and it'll be given to you. He goes on to talk about it. It's pressed down, shaking together, and overflowing. But man, that's not how we feel. We feel like, goodness, if I, if I, if I give some of what I, what I have, I won't have as much. And, and, and so we, we, like feel like, we feel like we need to hoard what we have instead of helping other people. And, and so then we're not trusting the things that God says. If we could just trust what God says instead of how we feel, every day of our lives would change. And, and I think what would happen is we would begin to look a whole lot more like Jesus. And so, so God is here with Cain. He's going, Cain, look, I know that you have these feelings, but you need to trust what I say. Because if you don't trust what I say, if you don't trust the story that I'm writing, sin is right there. It's crouching at your door, and it desires to master you, to rule over you, but you must rule over it. And, but what does Cain do? Does he listen to God? Does he trust the story? Does he trust what God says? No. 
He, he falls back to his feelings. He lets his anger and his fear take control, and he acts just like a beast, just like his parents. So let's look at <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 8. We'll kick it off this morning. Cain then spoke to Abel, his brother, <clears throat> and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and, and killed him. Okay, let's go back. Cain hears the voice of God. Uh, that's what we think any, anyway, right? Cain and Abel make the offerings. God speaks to Cain. And, and I think in my mind anyway, when I read that, I think Cain just hears the voice of like this voice just kind of booms out. You, you, there was a comedian a long time ago who did a thing about Noah. And God starts talking to him and he's like, what? Like, that's not what we think. Like, like the voice of God just kind of appears out of nowhere and Cain hears this voice, and, and, and that's all. But, but I think it's probably more than that. I think it's probable that Cain saw the face of God <clears throat> when he heard the voice of God. I think when God said, Cain, um, sin is crouching at your door, desires to have you, but you must rule over it, I think Cain was looking at God in the face. I think they were talking. I, th I think God showed up to Cain just like he showed up to Adam and Eve in Genesis um, chapter 2 and chapter 3. He shows up to walk with them in the cool of the day, chapter 3 says. And I think Cain was right there with God. They were having a face-to-face -face conversation. God asked Cain to trust the story that he was writing for him, but Cain decides he should write his own story. Like, I, I can do this better. Abel is in my way. <clears throat> he made a better sacrifice, a better offering. And if I just take out my competition, well, then I'll be the only one for God to bless. And so Cain's writing his own story that doesn't include Abel. And so what happens next should sound really um, familiar to us. It's going to be a little different, but it should sound familiar. Verses 9 and 10. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? So Cain kills, makes the sacrifices, God talks to Cain, Cain kills Abel, and, and now verse 9, there's this new interaction. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? <clears throat> and Cain said, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So um, immediately we, we know God knew what Cain did, right? As soon as Cain did it, like before Cain did it, God knew what he was planning in his heart, what he, what he wanted to do. But let's go back just a little bit because <clears throat> what did God say after Eve and Adam ate the fruit? Remember chapter three. God shows up to walk with them in the cool of the day and he says, where are you? Where are you? Now he shows up with, with Cain and he says, where is your brother? And, and we talked last time in chapter 3 about this word where, this Hebrew word for where. And there's two words. One means um, my, my keys are gone and I have no idea where they're at. And the other where, the one that's used in these two passages is, I left my keys right here and they're not here. Somebody moved them. Something happened. Where, where are they? Allow me to um, speculate a, a, a minute about the, the story. 
Now, we're given very little information in, in the story of, of Cain and Abel and in the Genesis story. So let me speculate just for a moment. Um, I don't think that Cain spoke to God in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 4, and then he like runs out the door, and he goes right to Abel, and he kills him. And, and then as soon as he kills his brother Abel, God shows up and, and says, what have you done? I don't think that's the time. That does not make sense to me at all as, as, a, as a timeline. If God's there and Cain goes out and kills Abel and then God shows up again, God should know where Abel is. <laughs> Shouldn't have, he's, well, he's right there <laughs> on the ground. Uh, and there's a mess there. Like This doesn't make sense to me. I think instead, I think Cain and Abel make their offerings to God God is happier with Abel's sacrifice than with Cain's for whatever reason. Again, I don't think the offering is important. Um, I, th- I think what they're learning about God is important. And so, and so God goes to the loser, Cain, and, and he says, Cain, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Just trust the story that I'm writing. Just do better like it's going to be okay. And I think Cain walks out the door there, a <laughs> uh, metaphorical door, and, and I think he's thinking about it. I think he's like trying to decide what to do? Do I trust the story that God is writing or do I write my own story and I'm not sure what to do? And I think what happens is sometime after that, maybe a few days, maybe a week, maybe a, a, a month, maybe six months, I, I don't know. At some point, Cain is still wrestling with these ideas in his head. Which, what, what am I supposed to do? What do I do? And I think there's a moment where Cain and Abel happen to be out in the field And Cain realizes nobody else is around. Nobody will see me. Maybe Abel makes a statement or does something and all of those feelings of of fear and anger begin to well up in Cain again. And he says, now's my opportunity. And he seizes it and he kills his, his brother Abel. And so instead of ruling over the sin that's been crouching at his door for weeks or months, he, he lets it rule over him, and he kills Abel. And so time has passed from the offering uh, and the conversation with God to when uh, Cain kills Abel, and I think more time passes, and then I just have this suspicion that, that maybe it comes time for Cain and Abel to show back up to God and make these offerings. And when they show back up, Cain's there alone. And then we hear God say this, where is your brother? And it makes sense now, right? Because God is saying to Cain, Abel was supposed to be here. We had an appointment. He knew he was supposed to be here, and he's not here. Where is he? We were supposed to meet. And then Abel takes this, you know, this stance. What are, what are my, my brother's gifts? Not my responsibility to, to watch over Abel. I, I think it's possible that God doesn't confront Cain about his crime until the next time Cain and Abel are supposed to make their sacrifices. And then when, a, when Abel doesn't show up, God begins to ask question. Cain pretends like he, he doesn't know. And, and in my mind, I, I, I go, like, I feel like I've heard this before. God asking this question, where, where are you? 
And then there's like this d- diversion kind of thing that happens. And, and somebody's going, let's not talk about that, let's talk about this. Um, think back to Genesis chapter three. Uh, Adam and Eve, they, they sin, they eat the forbidden fruit, and God shows up and he says, where are you? And, and Adam says, um, <clears throat> God, that woman you gave me, the woman you made and gave to me, she gave me some of the fruit and I, I ate it because probably because she was naked. And so um, I ate it and then that's her fault, right? And, and then God, God then asked this question to Cain. He says, what have you done? And, and, and again, sounds really familiar. It's the same thing that God says to Eve. Because Adam says, the woman you gave me, Eve, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate. And then God turns to Eve and says, what have you done? And she says, well, the serpent, he deceived me. And, and so Eve has somebody to point to. She has this serpent who's a part of this, this story. And, and he absolutely did deceive her. He, he was telling half-truths at at, at best, and so she can kind of point to the serpent and say, he's the one who caused this problem and, and started this um, rift. He intentionally deceived me. And so God curses the serpent, and then Adam and Eve receive these consequences. But in chapter four, Cain, he doesn't have anybody to blame. There's no serpent in the story. Where's the serpent that was misleading him or, or, or trying to tell him something? It no longer happens from outside of Cain. Now it's in here. The anger and the, and the, the fear that he has inside has now, has now welled up, and, and he's trusting his feelings more than the things that God is saying. And so there's no one for Cain to blame. Cain's action is solely his own. And so look what happens in the next couple verses. God pronounces this judgment, just like he did with Adam and and Eve. There are consequences for for your actions. And so God speaks to Cain. He says, now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Now, in, in Genesis chapter 3, God tells Adam, because you listened to your wife, because you listened to the story that somebody else was writing and not to the story I was writing, I'm going to curse the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat from the ground all the days of your life. Remember that the ground or growing things is how God connected to the creator, or how um, Adam connected to the to the the creative power of God. And so God says, this way that you and I connect, Adam, there's going to be trouble here now. Um, And and so Adam and Eve, they're in this garden, and everything is is perfect. And so everything that Adam planted in the ground, it it, it grew, it sprung up, and it was amazing, and it it produced a a huge harvest. And I think Adam was in the garden, and I think he was cross-pollinating things and figuring stuff out and it's really exciting and he just loved to grow stuff all the time and it was awesome. There was no weeds, there were no worms, he didn't have to worry about, didn't have to spray anything on it. It was just like everything just grew exactly the way he wanted it. And then Adam and Eve sinned and they're separated from that perfect 
garden. And they still work the ground, but now the ground doesn't work for them. Right? Adam's still tilling the ground. He's still planting seed just like he did in the garden. But, but now the, the ground, instead of producing the things that he's planting, it, it, it's sprouting weeds and thorns and, and thistles. And so then we have Cain come into the story. And Cain sins not from outside. He's not influenced. It all comes from in, inside. And he's further separated. His consequence, he's further separated from the ground so that now the ground acti- actively works against Cain. The ground was cursed because of Adam, and now Cain is cursed from the ground. It's really important to note, God's not cursing Cain. He's not separating himself from Cain. He says there's going to be problems between you, Cain, and this ground. Everything you've done up to this point in your life, you've sustained your life from the ground. You've planted, and you've harvested, and you've eaten, and it's provided everything that you needed. But now, That's not going to happen. Now when you plant something in the ground, the ground's just going to swallow it up. And it won't give back to you what it has. I want you to think about that for me, because what does that really mean for Cain? He's a farmer. This is all he's known. This is all he's done. And now all of a sudden, the ground is going to be an enemy of Cain's. Look, if Cain can't work the ground to produce food for himself then he has to get food another way, right? If, if he can't work the ground, that's what he's always done, he's a farmer, he has to switch professions. He has to do something else to provide for him and, 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 and his family to be able to, to eat and to live. He's going to have to learn to hunt and follow herds and flocks and create ways to capture and kill other creatures if he wants to survive. That's what it really means for Cain to be cursed from the ground. You're not going to be able to survive or provide for yourself from the ground anymore. You've got to find another way to live. And so Cain, instead of homesteading outside of the Garden of Eden, you're going to be a wanderer on the earth because you're going to be dependent on other animals for your survival. And so how does Cain feel? The next couple verses. Cain says to the Lord, well, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Can Can anybody feel that? You've sinned, you knew you shouldn't have, you gave in to your feelings, you trusted the story you were writing instead of the story God was writing, and then God goes, okay, well, here's the consequence, and you go, whoa, God, I didn't sign up for that. God, no, that's not what it's supposed to be. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Sin always seems like it's going to produce the result we're after, doesn't it? Sin always tries to convince us that when we follow our feelings, when we write our own story, that that's the path to getting the things that we want or need. God says, that may seem like it makes sense to you, but you're never going to get what you want unless you follow the path I'm writing, unless you follow the story that I'm writing, like sin never quite produces what it promises. Cain thought that by killing his brother, he'd be God's favorite again, and that God would have to provide uh, for him just like he did b- before, because now Abel is out of the, the picture. 
And remember, Cain's name means acquired. He knows that everything he has, he's gotten because God has given it to him. Only when he writes his own story, it goes horribly wrong. Like once sin has you, once sin has mastered you, instead of you ruling over it, you become a slave to the consequences of that. I don't think you, I don't think you become a slave to the sin because we can always follow God and follow the story he's writing, but we absolutely do become slaves of the consequences of our sin. And now all of a sudden, the consequences for Cain's beastly act, like they're more than he expected. I didn't think this was going to happen. But, but I want you to see what he says next in the, in the verse, because I think this is really cool. He starts out saying, today you have driven me from the ground. That's, that's a bad thing. This is how I made my living. This is how I provided for my family, and now I can't do that anymore. That's an accurate statement, right? God cursed the relationship between Cain and the, the ground. Will no longer produce food for him. The obvious result of that is that Cain will have to move around, he'll have to hunt, and, and, and as God says, he'll be a wanderer on the earth. But look at how Cain associates moving physically with moving spiritually. He says, um, from your face I shall be hidden. Now the, the question is, did God say that? No. No, absolutely not. God never said, Cain, you're going to be a wanderer on the earth and I'm not going to, you're not going to see me anymore. Like I'm closing the door to our relationship. God never says that. Nowhere does God tell Cain that he will not be able to see him or talk to him or have a relationship with him anymore. Remember last Sunday I said that humanity moved away from the garden, but God didn't move away from humanity. He still showed up. He still talked to him. I think we see that in chapter 4. God shows up to Cain, and he's there face-to-face going, hey, Cain, let's have a, a conversation. Cain is experiencing the consequences of his choices, but he is not being cut off from God. That's how he feels, because that's what he says, right? I feel like I feel like I'm being cut off from you, that that your face is going to be hidden from me. And God's going, no, Cain, you've got to trust the story I'm writing, not the way that you feel. Trust the things I say and not the way that you feel. And just like with Adam and Eve being afraid because they were naked, and last week we looked at how Cain was afraid because he didn't think God would provide for him anymore, now Cain is afraid for his own life, self-preservation. And fear keeps us from acting in faith. Fear keeps us from acting in faith. Fear tells us God's way won't work. When God says vengeance is mine or, or seek first my kingdom or given it will be given, fear tells us God's way won't work. If I give what I've been given, I won't have anything If I work to build your kingdom and not my kingdom, what does that leave my my kingdom? God, if I wait for you to take vengeance on this person, you you may have grace on them instead, and, and I don't want that. Fear tells us God's way won't work. 
And, and it also tells us then that when we mess up, like Cain did, that we should fear God's wrath. And it tells us that we should fear others and what they might do to us, fear for our own lives. But from the very beginning, God said humanity was good. And he showed his love over and over, even in the aftermath of Adam and Eve's sin and, and here Cain's sin. And, and here we are again. God is not showing anger toward Cain. Look at the next verse. Then the Lord said to him, not so. Cain, you're not listening to what I'm saying. You're listening to how you, you feel. Not so. In fact, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Let me just say, uh, the mark doesn't matter. That's not important to the story. We don't need to know about it because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. What matters is God's saying to Cain, look, Cain, I know you're afraid, but no one will kill you prematurely. What he's really saying to Cain here is, Cain, I'm, I'm going to invite you back in to the story that I'm writing for you. Like you you kind of you messed it up, but it's not beyond repair. I'm going to invite you to trust the story I'm writing for you again. Cain, you don't have to worry that I'm not going to be there with you. And you certainly don't have to kill anybody else to try and get my attention or get my blessing. I will protect you. In a sense, I think God was kind of saying this. Yes, Cain, you did a terrible thing. But killing Cain isn't the way to stop killing. Taking vengeance against the people who have hurt you is not the way to stop that hurt. And so God says kind of like this, look, if anybody else wants to kill Cain, they're going to have to get through me first. That's what this is about. And so God marks Cain somehow so that anyone who found him would think twice about messing with him. And it sounds an awful lot to me like what he did for Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve mess up. And instead of punishment, God gives them a present. Adam and Eve feel shame because they're naked, and so God makes clothing for them. Now God says, you've been naked in front of me the whole time. Remember, naked means, means open, exposed. He's like, you, you, you've been naked to me all the time. It's not a big deal. Like, I'm not doing this for me. I'm not doing this because you are shameful to me. I'm doing it because you feel shame in yourself and toward each other. So I'm going to make you these these clothes. I think the mark that gives Cain is very much like that. God's like, Cain, I'm going to give you this present that's meant to protect you because I want you to understand that you can trust the story that I'm writing. And I have to go again. Does this sound like a God who is angry with humanity and out to punish them for their sin? Because it doesn't sound that way to, to me. And if you read the rest of Genesis 3, I think we see, or Genesis 4, we see it more clearly. I think, I think Cain leaves the garden area and he heads east. That's what we're told in the rest of the chapter. And he starts a family and he builds a, a city. But his children, we're told, continue the downward spiral of sin that started with Cain. And, and we come to this story in the rest of the chapter about his like great-great-grandson or something. His name is Lamech. 
And the mech comes along, and the mech begins to acquire wives like, like property. We're, we're told he has two wives, and you don't need two wives. You only need one. But Lamech thinks he's such a great guy that he needs two, because this is what beasts do. They can't be devoted to, to one. I've got to have more around. I've got to feel better about myself, and so I've got to have more of these women around. And then it's not just about acquiring women like, like property. He, he brags about the fact that somebody wounded him. Somebody said something that hurt his feelings. And he killed him for it. He's like, what? And he brags about it. Wives of Lamech, listen to me. I have killed a man for wounding me. He's like, I, I'm not waiting on God to take vengeance. I'm not trusting the story God is writing. I am going to take care of myself. In fact, he goes on to say, if God avenges Cain seven times, and we don't really know where that comes from, but if God avenges Cain sevenfold, Lamech is going to be avenged 70-fold, 77 times. I'm not going to wait on God. I'm not going to trust God. I'm not going to spend my time in the story that God is writing. I'm going to write my own story. And we get caught up with Lamech and what's going on, and we skip over something that I think is really super cool and important. You read on in the rest of the chapter, you find about three brothers. They're the sons of Lamech. And we're first told about Jabel. And Jabel becomes the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. They become nomads, and they wander around. And then his brother Jubal was the father of all those who play the lyre and the, and the, and the pipe. They're instrumentalists. They're creative in that, that way. And then he has another son named Tubal-Cain, and he becomes a blacksmith, and he forges tools. By the way, if the ground, like for Cain, won't produce what he, what he wants, if, if, there's, if there's, they're enemies now, and Cain has to go out and he has to hunt and, and kill. He's got to find other ways to make a living. Wouldn't it be really, really great to have weapons and tools with which to do that? And so Tubal Cain becomes a blacksmith and he forges weapons, out of, uh, weapons and things out of bronze and, and iron. Now, what did God say to Adam and Eve right after he created them in Genesis chapter um, 1, verse 28? I won't make you guess, I'll, I'll tell you. He says to Adam and Eve, after he's created them, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, rule over all the beasts. And what is Cain and his family doing in the second half of Genesis 4? Cain and his family are fulfilling the purpose of of their creator. This doesn't sound to me like a story about how angry God is with Cain. It sounds like a story about how much God loves Cain. That even in Cain's sin, and even though Cain has separated himself from God and he feels separated from God physically, he can't separate himself from God's purpose and plan. Cain was fulfilling God's purpose even though he had rejected God's plan. And I think that is really cool. Because you can't run away from God's 
purpose. Now you can follow your own plan, you can chart your own path, you can bury yourself in, in pain or pleasure, you can give in to the passion that you, you feel, the desires of your heart, but God's greater purpose will always win out. And even when you must suffer the consequences for your choices, God will never cut you off from his grace. I think that's the story of of Cain that we miss too often. And we see this glimmer of hope in the final verses of chapter 4, 25 and 26. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, I don't know what you've done in your life. I don't know all the ways that you've given in to to fear, to anger. I don't know the ways that you've acted like a beast, but I do know this. God is not far from you even when you feel far from him. It may be how you feel, but it's not what God says. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, no matter what. And even in the the midst of the first murder, you have God going, it's okay, Cain. You can still trust the story that I'm writing. God's still hoping that Cain And maybe you will turn around and come back home. Maybe you felt like Cain in in your life at at times. Maybe today you're here because the Spirit brought you here because you feel like Cain, like you've blown it and you've given in to to fear and you felt like God must must be angry with you, that God, like God probably doesn't want you around anymore because of the things that you've done. I hope you can see today in the story of Cain that God will always love you and he always wants the best for you. And maybe today is the day that you stop walking away from God and you start walking toward him. I think one of the best ways to do that is is with a public decision to follow King Jesus, to trust the story God is writing, to obey him in faith instead of giving in to the fear that you feel. And I think a great way to do that, I think God planned it this way, is through the act of baptism. It's this thing that we, that we do where we get dunked under the water and, and, and when, we, when we get dunked under the water, it's like being buried in the ground. And, and, the, and the Bible says, if we trust the story, the Bible says that when that happens, it's like we're dying to all the things that Adam and Eve and Cain and our parents and ourselves, we handed down, were handed down to us. We're dying to, the, to fear and, and to the anger and to the frustration and the times that we went off on our own and tried to write our own story. We die to all of those things that separate us 
or that feel like they separate us from God. And when we come up out of the water, we're made new. We're empowered with God's Spirit to live the life that God called us to, to trust the the story and to live a life of faith and, and, and relationship with God because that's where this all started. God said to Adam and Eve, I want to have a relationship with you and I want to partner with you in this creation. This thing that God has been calling us to since the very beginning. So I don't know where you are in your, in your spiritual journey and in, in, in your path and, and maybe you've, you're, you've gotten off the path of God and, and you're right, you've been writing your own story. I, I want you to know that you can come back that all you got to do is start trusting God again. You don't have to bring a big offering. You don't have to have the best thing. You just have to stop giving in to the feelings inside of you and start trusting the things that God says. And so um, I'm, I'm going to pray, and Easton's going to come up here and, and, and share just a couple of, of announcements. And after the service, I'm just going to walk right, I'm just going to be right over here. And, and if, if you're ready to take the step of baptism and you want to know more about that or something else is going on, I'm just going to hang out over there and you can come talk to me when the service is over. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this story of, of Cain because really it's my story and it's our story. There's so many times that we have given in to the sin that's crouching at our door and we've allowed it to rule over us instead of ruling over it. And we've written our own story and we've gone off the, the path and we haven't trusted what you have said. And so, um, God, I, I just am thankful today that you're a God, you're a God that loves us e- even when we even when we, we sin and we do the wrong thing. And, and you're just constantly going, look, all you got to do is turn around. All you got to do is trust the story. All you got to do is come back. God, you never stop loving us. And that's pretty awesome. Thanks, God, for this day and the story of Cain. In Jesus' name.